0: Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. It's
1: good to see everybody. All right. So let's dive into this. We're going to be talking about the traditional New Testament text. So the traditional text. All right. That's the one that, that we've been trying to follow throughout history. And we've seen that it somehow it was not edited. It was, uh, there was no change made to it. The people in possession of it caused it no harm. Um, Now, the people who who possessed it was the Byzantine Empire. Of course, you remember the traditional text is the Byzantine text, which is also the majority text, and that's important because nearly all manuscripts are in this camp. So almost all the extant manuscripts that exist can be placed in the traditional text Lineage, line, camp, however you want to say that. So they are consistent and they are numerous. <laughs> there are lots of them. You know, how, how could you have thousands of a particular lineage of text that all agree across the board? I mean, that if there's any variance in them, it's so minor and so tiny that it's not, it's not important and, and, and that doesn't click in anyone's mind to say I mean, that's pretty important because <laughs> we're, we're talking about hundreds to, to about a thousand years worth of manuscripts that all agree with each other spread across the globe in the hands of different people, the majority of which was in the hands of the Byzantine Empire. And somehow they didn't get edited or changed or, or ruined in any way. That's pretty significant. <laughs> But then you have a handful of texts that come out of Alexandria. All of them say something different. Everyone who possessed them told you they edited them. And you still want to argue that this is the, the, the one that you should go with. They just, that, that, I am dumbfounded by something so stupid. Like it, it boggles my mind that you could, you could know for... I mean, it's a historical fact. Origen, Jerome, you know all the people who had possession of these texts... The Roman Catholic Church said, we changed them. <laughs> we, we didn't like what they said, so we edited them. But then you have the Greek Orthodox Church and the Byzantine Empire, who, by the way, didn't believe a word of the traditional text. They were just as pagan as the Roman Catholic Church. But for some reason, they never touched that, those documents and left them exactly as they were. So God used an ungodly, pagan, orthodox church to keep his word and they didn't. They didn't do any damage to it. Now, if you can explain that to me, that's 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 just as incredible. Westcott and Hort rejected the traditional text. They believe the traditional text had the backing of certain important officials of the Greek Church. So in their mind, they think it's politics. The only reason you use this text is because you know high high level members of the Greek Church told you to use it. Which that, that there's no historical truth to that that's just their opinion that's propaganda they were putting out there's nothing to back that Uh, because it had this backing it was shown certain favor okay let's let's say that was true it's it's not true because you can prove without a doubt the greek church didn't care about the scripture they cared about the scriptures as much as the roman catholic church cared about the scriptures neither one uses the bible They, they only use it when they feel like they need to To put you in a difficult spot. Otherwise, they don't don't care about the Bible. And so there's no historical backing for this, but let's say there was. They still never edited the text. It still stayed the same. It's still accurate. It's still true. Why does it matter that, that the Greek church might have favored that text? It doesn't. It doesn't matter who favored it. The question is, did they cause harm to it? Did they change it? Did they damage it in any way? And, and they did not. Westcott and Hort thought this way because it was their own approach to certain Alexandrian texts. They favored certain texts, so they assumed the Greek church must also have favored certain texts. And that's the only reason, according to them, the only reason this text had any uh, leverage, the reason people loved this text is because the Greek church made them. That, that's kind of their argument. Uh, they fa- but Westcott and Hort favored certain manuscripts over others, regardless of their validity. And so now they are accusing others of doing the same, um, which is kind of kind of odd. They also believe that editors were organized in 250 A.D. and then again in 350 A.D. to edit the traditional text. Westcott and Hort taught this. They said in, in 250 and then again, 100 years later... In 350, uh, the Greek church edited this text. That's, that's what they tried to tell the world. They tried to say, yeah, this text were edited. Uh, so again, if we, if we consider the, the logic, they know the Alexandrian manuscripts were edited. They, in fact, themselves edited their own Alexandrian manuscripts. So what difference does it make if the Greek church edited it? Is that a problem? I mean, apparently that fits your philosophy. So what's the problem if they did edit this text? Now, they didn't. There's no historical support for it. It's only propaganda put out by Westcott and Hort, or two devils. And then, again, they are accusing others of approaching the Word of God the way that they themselves approach God's Word. They believe this editing process took place, of all places... In Antioch, Syria. Now imagine that church in Antioch editing God's word. You're not going to find any support for that anywhere. It doesn't exist. And so th- th- this is they're, they're trying to build a case against the traditional text. They have no case against the traditional text. So in order to build a case against the traditional text, They levy accusations that they are guilty of, (laughs) which is very revealing. They believe this editing process took place at Antioch. Westcott and Hort wrote that the reason for this editing editing process in Antioch was to end the competition between traditional Western and Alexandrian manuscripts. They, They felt like the Greek church was in a competition of some sort. So in 250, 250 years after Christ, the Greek church was so involved in this competition between three lines of manuscripts, they decided to win the game once and for all by getting together and editing this text. Now, if you believe that, I have some oceanfront property in Uganda I'd like to sell to you. (laughs) You can put a beach house right right on the ocean except that Uganda doesn't, doesn't touch the ocean. So Now, nobody historically believes that the Greek church thought they were in some sort of manuscript competition. This is completely made up by Westcott and Hort. There's no historical evidence for it. The truth is, a theory of this sort would give Westcott and Hort license to edit God's word to their own satisfaction. If they could somehow prove the traditional text had been edited, well, then that leaves us with absolutely nothing. If all the extant manuscripts had been edited by somebody somewhere, then what do we have? We have nothing. And, um, of course, it's not true. The, the Greek church did not edit those manuscripts. They, they remain exactly the same. And, and we know they remain the same because the older manuscripts we find that come from the Antioch lineage or from the traditional text... They all match. They keep going further and further back, and they find older and older manuscripts, and they're exactly the same. There's there's no difference. So we 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 can't believe that. We can't go with that. It's it's false. Uh, Westcott and Hort further allege that because certain church fathers from Antioch used the traditional text, that use of the text was commanded. And again, what what that has to do with anything? Okay. Pastor Paul says, "If you want to attend our church, you need to use the King James. If you're going to use an English Bible, you need to use the King James Bible." Does that mean that there's something wrong with the King James Bible? No. In fact, he's trying to tell you that it's a, it's it's superior, and so there, there is no validity to the idea that the Greek or that church fathers uh, from from the traditional text lineage commanded people to use the traditional text. But if they did that that would mean that they found something superior in the traditional text. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with the traditional text. So the argument makes no sense. There's no no logic to it. Their hope is they can convince enough people to to buy into it, and if enough people buy into it, then when they go and edit their own document and then force it upon people, they can say, well, that's what they did, so it's okay for us to do it. It worked to a small extent, but not to as large of an extent as, as they had hoped. Um, It it didn't quite pan out. So, under the authority of three of the primary figures of of church history at that time, everyone was forced to use their traditional text. So they say, Diodorus, these are the the church fathers that they said, forced people, Chrysostom and Theodore of Mopsuestia. That has to be correct. I mean, how else would you say that? We'll just say Theodore. How about that? Uh, according to Westcott and Hort, these three church fathers forced everyone in the Greek church to use the traditional text. There's no historical documentation to back that up. They just made it up. And again, if they had historical documentation to back it up, why does it matter? What, what, what does it matter if, if the church leaders of the Greek church... Re- required or requested that you use the traditional text i don 't understand how that devalues the text now they 're they're, they're, part of their argument what they 're trying to say is this is this is the reason for the the attachment to the to the, to the traditional text. This is why so many people want the traditional text not because it 's superior in any way but because they were forced to use it and because they were forced to use it now they don 't want to use anything else and um, and, and of course, none of it makes sense. There is no historical documentation to back up these accusations. Um, God's people want God's word. And throughout history, God's people have continually gravitated to God's word. Something new comes along and they say, oh, you know, we have this, this wonderful new you know version of the word of God. And then, the, and then God's people look at it for a year or two and they say, no, <laughs> this is not going to work. And they, and they end up throwing it to the side and Moving back to God's word. So then Westcott and Hort further taught that this text, under authority of the church fathers, was transported to Constantinople. Uh, Constantinople was the seat of power for the Byzantine Empire. So we can see the connections they're trying to make. The problem is these connections are falsified. They're not true. So if they can say the Greek church forced people to use this text and then they took it to Constantinople... And that's the only reason it was used there, um, and, and that's the only reason it's popular, It's the only reason people like it, uh, is because they were forced to use it. Well, that doesn't tell me anything about its validity. Now you try and say that, that it was edited, well, I need to see some, some proof of that. If you tell me that the, that the Church Fathers required that you use the traditional text, I don't care. Like, what, is, what does that have to do with the validity of the text? That has nothing to do with the validity. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't demonstrate to me that it was edited, damaged, changed, you know, that it has errors. It just means that a certain group of people preferred to use it and and their church leadership, you know, told them, if you want to come to church here, you got to use this Bible. I I don't see a problem with that. But when you say it's edited, now we got a whole now we got a problem. And they supply no no documentation, no historical information that says that the traditional text was edited. And in fact, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that exist will verify to you that it it has never been edited. It's exactly the same. So, Westcott and Hort disproved. So after examining these claims from a historical perspective, most modern-day textual critics have completely abandoned the, 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 these theories, these ideas. So if textual critics who generally agree with Westcott and Hort will tell you, yeah, I don't know where they got that. I don't know where they got that information. <laughs> I, I have no way to demonstrate to you where they got those accusations from. And so if, if, you, if you find out who's making the accusations and you try to look back at their historical references and see where the accusations came from and there aren't any, then guess where they started? They started with the people making the accusations, which means they had no proof for it. They just just made it up. They failed to abandon other ideas produced by Westcott and Hort, but this one was so bad, they could lend no support. There is absolutely no historical evidence the traditional text was created by an assembly of scholars in Antioch. Historians have noted any time The word of God was edited on a major, on a large scale level. It's always recorded historically. Every time a church, an organization, a group sat down to edit God's word in some way, they were dumb enough to leave behind notes saying what they did. And and I mean, I'm thankful for that because then we can say, oh, this text from Alexandria, Egypt, it was edited by this person. They told you in their notes what they did to it. So we know that it's... It's a, it's, a, it's a corrupt document. There's no reason for me to use it. There's, there's, there's nothing there for me. And so historians have noted any time a major edit of this sort was accomplished, they have all or some of the names of the editors and, and the event was always recorded. It was, it was common for historians and writers to note such an event, but no such information exists for anyone to refer to regarding to the church at Antioch. So if, if you're going to say that they did that, the, what, what would, you, you, you would need something to point back to and say, see, here, here's the writings of Chrysostom where he said, we got together and we edited this text. No such writings exist. There would be, you know, some, histor- some historian of that day who records major events for, for history at, at that time would, would have made some note about it somewhere and it doesn't exist. So does that prove that it didn't happen? no. But it does prove you have no basis to say that it happened. You're just making it up. If there's no historical event to refer back to, then you're just making claims. There's nothing for you to point to and say, see, here's why I'm saying this. And so it doesn't exist. This would then imply that Westcott and Hort fabricated the entire idea themselves. Now, the traditional text is not an official text. It is a collective that is often called the majority text. So you, the Alexandrian text and the Western text, there's such a small number of each of them that, that they can kind of be bundled together into their own you know, particular group and, and, and they're very characteristic of each other. The traditional text, it's massive. We're talking about thousands of manuscripts that belong to the traditional text. And they can't be broken down into, into small little groups the way that the Alexandrian and Western texts can be. And so because of that, it's often called the majority text. I mean, we're talking about thousands of manuscripts and, and, and other supporting documents that, that prove the, the traditional text. Until we get to Erasmus who essentially combined this collection of thousands of texts into one coherent book, the traditional text had never been subject to any editing process. You just had all these manuscripts scattered throughout the Byzantine Empire under the control of the Greek Orthodox Church who protected it and kept it and didn't allow anything to happen to it. Uh, there, there, There had never been any attempt to make any changes whatsoever to the traditional text until we get to Erasmus. And Erasmus didn't make changes. What he did was, and we're going to go through the process that he went through, but he took the manuscripts that he had, the manuscripts he had seen and made notes of, the, the, the Latin Vulgate, his own Latin version, and then a number of other documents, and he was able to, to break the, the New Testament down into a single volume, into a single book. And so, when I say he edited it, he didn't make changes to it. He, he, he condensed Thousands of scattered manuscripts down into a single New Testament book, which is a blessing to have. This is part of the religious hatred for this text. Uh, People demand that we submit to their chosen priesthood or their chosen scholars. The traditional text has never been subject to such a priesthood or scholars. Religions have no use for a text that promotes individuality or independence amongst believers. Religion needs control over you. And if, they, and if and if Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, well, we got to get rid of the truth. <laughs> you got to come to me for the truth. You can't know the truth. You can't have the truth. I have the text. I can edit the text. I can change the text and put you in a position so that you, for the rest of your life, have to come to me and my organization. It's bondage. But God said... If you'll know the word of God, you can be locked in a prison and still as free as can be. It's impossible to to put you in religious bondage or spiritual bondage. Your physical body might be bound somehow, but you can't get to the mind and you can't get to the word of God that's hidden in your heart. That that truth will, will absolutely set you free and make you very difficult to deal with. And that's what religion does not want. Um, They they don't want individuality. They don't want independence. God's people filled with the Holy Spirit over time rejected false readings and gravitated to the traditional text. Uh, What happened over time is that God's people would only use manuscripts that were in line with the traditional text. Historical historical studies over time have repeatedly verified the uniformity of manuscripts that come from, from that line of manuscripts. But apart from historical verification... We must never forget the role that God himself plays in preserving his his word through the priesthood of believers. We're not necessarily looking for some scientific method to prove where God's word is. God will cause his people to go to his word. Now, it's not as perfect and as clear of a process as we'd like to see. But generally speaking, historically, you can see how it all worked out and how it all came together. And, it, and it's pretty miraculous. The manuscripts of the traditional text maintain a consistency that only God could have produced in thousands of manuscripts over a period, period of hundreds of years. But the very minor inconsistencies prove the traditional text was never the production of editors or church authority. People made copies. That's it, they didn't edit those copies. They did, as they're making a, as they're making a copy of it, they didn't say, uh, you know, Acts eight thirty seven. You know, at the, in the Greek Orthodox Church, we believe baptism saves. We probably need to get rid of that verse. They didn't do that. They left it exactly as it was, and so somehow that church came to, you know, though they were not a Bible believing church, they are in, they are very they are very Roman Catholic in their doctrine. They did not touch God's word and left it as it was. So now when you look at the, the thousands of manuscripts that exist, you don't see. Remember, we talked about the Alexandria and the Western text. If you took the book of John that comes from all the, the extant manuscripts of the book of John that come from the Alexandrian line of manuscripts and set them side by side, all of them would say something different. Because they were all edited by different people who didn't believe that they needed to preserve God's word; they needed to fix God's word in their mind. But if you take all the extant manuscripts from the Book of John from the traditional text; they are unbelievably similar. They are almost exactly the same, and any variance between them is insignificant. It's not like an entire verse is missing, or, or you know, uh, I mean, it, 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 it's the, the differences are so minor. It does no damage to the text, and you have so many of them, you can find out where, where the minor differences came from, if that makes sense. You know, you're know, you not left trying to figure out which one is correct. Well, you have so many from, from, from way back until the 16th century that you can look through you can, you, and you can determine where a mistake was made or where someone copied something incorrectly or part of it might have been missing or, or you know, something to that effect. So there's just an overwhelming amount of evidence to determine what the manuscripts said and what we need to translate into English or Luganda or whatever the next language might be. So, I mean, that's pretty incredible. I hope you understand how huge that is. How reliable the manuscripts that you have are and that's where this Bible came from versus the, the... Revised version, the revised standard version, the American standard version. What I mean, the, the ESV, the NIV, every one of those say something different, and every one of those came from a different Alexandrian manuscript. So it's just a whole world of confusion. It makes no sense. Nothing fits. Nothing works. So um, many people have bought into Westcott and Hort's fabricated accusations, and they still repeat them today, and they don't even know where they came from. You know, they, 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 they accuse the King James Bible of the same things that Westcott and Hort accused the traditional text of, and they don't even know where those accusations came from. They don't know why they're saying it, and if you ask them to show them proof, you know, if they make an accusation about the Bible, show me your proof. Well, I don't have any proof. I just heard somebody say this, and I thought that sounded good, so I thought I would say it. Well, unless you have something to back it up, then I don't want to hear it. And there are a couple of people. The, the biggest one is a man named James White. Anybody heard of him? Some of you listen to preaching online and things. James White is... That man, that man hates the King James Bible with a passion. And he's, a, he's kind of a famous preacher today. He's well known in the apologetic circles. So you know, if, it, apologetics is the the idea of defending the faith, and it comes from the word apologia, which you know again it refers back to a language that, that nobody knows, but they feel like they need to use it. And so he, he's well known for his apologetics, but he hates the King James Bible. So he spends now. now imagine this: you, you are what's called in the Christian world an apologist. Which, what that means is, you have taken it upon yourself to defend the word of God. But you spend the majority of your time tearing down the word of God. So you're supposed to go to lost people and help win them to the faith and, 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 and bring them into Christianity. And then the other half of your time, you tear down the words that you need that are supposed to help you bring people into Christianity. That, it makes no sense. And that man hates the King James Bible, and fights hard against it and and so he, he's, they still exist today he 's he's, he's completely ignorant he 's he's a, he's a calvinist he's, 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 he's any number of things, and um, has no clue what he 's talking about and uh, but he 's very popular and he has a big following and he writes books and and you know he preaches online and and uh, he gets called to give speeches and do all sorts of things so um, so he gets away with it and a large portion of the Christian world is bought into his ideas. Where did he get those ideas? Westcott and Hort. His ideas are not original. He didn't discover something and, and figure out that there were problems with the King James Bible. He learned it from somewhere. Now, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who, who claim to be Christians listen to James White on YouTube. And what are they being taught? You need to be a Christian. We need to believe God's word. Oh, by the way, you don't have it. <laughs> and, and, it and, and nobody thinks it. No, that doesn't click in anybody's mind. You know, they, they, he wows them with his apologetics. And, and a good apologist is very interesting to listen to because they know how to deal with lost people. And an apologist, typically, they deal more. They, they don't. They don't witness the way that we go out in the street and witness with most people. They, they like to try and deal with high level people like, you know, atheists and scientists and people of that sort. So people who, who like to call themselves apologists, they don't go out street preaching in the street and try to win the common man to the Lord Jesus Christ. They want you to see a large public battle between them and some famous atheist or, or you know, some famous scientist. And then I hope they win. I mean, praise the Lord. I mean, I hope they, they, they defeat the arguments of the other person. Uh, But to what end? I mean, imagine if James White convinced Richard Dawkins, one of the world's most famous atheists who hates God, mocks God, mocks God's word. He's supposed to win that man over to the word of God, (laughs) which, by the way, you don't have. It doesn't exist. But you need to come over here. For what? There's nothing over there. (laughs) If you're going to tell people what we believe is based on God's word, but we don't have God's word, though we have a bunch of translations in the English, we have a bunch of versions in the English language, just pick one. Well, they all say something different. Which one should I pick? Well, whichever one you want. Just not the King James Bible. Anyone but that one is okay. I mean, imagine, trying to, you're trying to win somebody. You need to come over here where we are. It's blessed over here. It's wonderful over here. We have God's word over here. And then they get there and you say, well, you know, we don't really have God's word. We just have this book that we call it a Bible. And uh, some of God's word might be in there. But, I mean, glad you're here, but I, I kind of lied to you to get you over here. It, it makes no sense. It's, it's completely illogical. Now, why the traditional text? The traditional text has been scrutinized and tested and ridiculed relentlessly throughout history. Which you would expect of God's word. The devil is going to rail against God's word. If you want to know where, you know, as Muslims always ask me, they, they say, there's only one copy of the Koran, which is not true. The Quran has been translated into many languages. Not only that, Muhammad himself said, Now, you th- imagine this. You're a prophet of God, right? And somehow, this is according to Muhammad, the devil tricked him into accidentally putting in more than 200 verses into the Quran. But they found out which ones they were and they removed them. Yeah, praise the Lord. I could hear Moses now. Oh, Lord, I was writing the Ten Commandments the way you said, and the devil tricked me into putting... A- <laughs> I mean, imagine that. And so Muslims will tell you there's never been, you know, we, we only have one copy of the Koran, which is completely, it's, it's false, it's a lie. But they would like to come to me and they like to say, you know, why do we have one copy of the Koran in Arabic, but you have, you have many copies of the Bible in English. Why, why, why is that? Well, the answer is very easy. What does the devil care about the Koran? It's a lie in the first place. He's the father of lies. It's completely false. Why would he need to attack it? What about the King James Bible? It's God's word. It needs to be attacked. And yet it's attacked, and it's attacked, and it's attacked, and it's attacked. And here we are 400 plus years later, and it still stands strong with no problem whatsoever. What other book do you know can stand up to that type of scrutiny and survive? There's not one. Scholars have set themselves against this text with unreasonable bias and prejudice. Universities have condemned this text. They have done all they can to elevate manuscripts from different sources or to just get rid of it altogether. So why does the the traditional text survive? And why do God's people insist it is the word of God? The traditional text is the word of God scattered across the world in Greek form. Historically, the Alexandrian text and Western text departed from the traditional text. So they started here. And, and there, there, there is there's a good amount of, uh, of historical documentation to, to demonstrate that. So the Western text and the Alexandrian text started out as the traditional text. But once it got into the hands of people who believed that the Word of God was subject to them, they, they edited it. They changed it. There's plenty of historical evidence that would go back and that would demonstrate that. We can follow that fact historically. The men in control of the manuscripts that follow these lines were open about the edits that they made. They, they thought it was a good thing, and they wanted to tell you about it. So they in their writings, they, they would tell you what they were what their opinion is of the word of God. They'll tell you, um, one of the things we're going to learn about the King James Bible, when they were putting it together, they put rules together that the, the translators had to follow. And one of the rules was that they could not add their notes to a text. So when you got it, it was like this. It was just, it was just the word of God, the way every other translation before that worked, you would have a verse and then maybe at the end of that verse or in the middle of that verse, the translator would put his explanation of why he 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 rendered the verse that way. He translated it that way. And so King James of England, he hated that. He said, get rid of those stupid notes <laughs> that, that are in the text. And so one of the rules was that, that they, they were not allowed to add their notes. And, and one of the, the other reasons for that is that would be leading. You know, if if a, if a translator put his notes in there as to why he thought it should say what this said, it would then lead people reading it. It would almost force them to, to follow his explanation. It, now, when you have it just like this, I have no. This is, a, this is my street preaching Bible. It has no red letters in it. It has no cross-references in it. It has no notes in it whatsoever. It's just the Bible. So it's up to me to read it, to study it, and to run the cross-references. And so it gives you the individual responsibility to figure out what the Bible says, rather than, well, the translator said this, so it must be true. Well, that's his opinion. I mean, it, there might be some validity to it. There may not. And so King James wanted that kind of stuff, that stuff removed. And, um, and so these guys did, often did the same thing. When, they would, when Origen would translate, or Jerome would translate, or whoever else was involved, they would put their notes either... If you, if you remember... I don't know if we talked about it or not. I just put some of the notes together. But the Textus Receptus, I believe we might have talked about it. When Erasmus put it together, at the end of the Textus Receptus, he put his notes rather than putting it into the text. Well, oftentimes, Origen, Jerome, and other translators would put it in the text itself, in the verse itself. And so you'd be reading the verse, and you'd, then you'd have this long you know, note that the translator put there. It can be very leading, and so but what, it, but what that does for us is that tells us when and where they change the verse. If They put their notes in the text, and you have their text. You can say, well, he said right here, I don't think this, this phrase or this word should be here, so I removed it. <laughs> and, and, and you have ample evidence of that. And so I don't understand why there's an argument. You have no way to demonstrate that happened to the traditional text, you can absolutely prove that that happened every step of the way in every form of the Alexandrian text. So you know that they did that. Why are you arguing in favor of that text? It, 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 it makes no sense. It's, it, it, it blows my mind. But you can find no such historical documentation regarding the traditional text. Therefore, the traditional and the Alexandrian follow two completely different plans throughout history. The Alexandrian text was subject to man. That's man's words, with a little bit of God's word in there. The traditional text is God's word, with none of man's words in there. And so, I, I want to stick with God's word. Alexandrian scribes considered themselves to be interpreters, not copyists. As such, they made changes as their interpretations deemed necessary. What does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about private interpretations of Scripture? None. But here, these men are supposed to be copying the Word of God. Instead, they are interpreting the Word of God and then giving you what they have interpreted and and expecting you to, to follow suit. These men considered themselves to be in a position to improve God's Word. Now imagine putting yourself in that position. Nobody else would put you there that I know of. I mean, I I guess throughout history, certain Roman Catholic popes and and emperors and things like that did ask for men to to bring them a copy of the Word of God or or to translate a copy of the Word of God. Uh, I don't know what the rules were for that, but... What they ended up getting was an edited version of God's Word. It was not a a pure translation like we ended up having with the King James Bible. Alexandrian Western texts were considered prestigious, and still are for some reason. The Alexandrian texts came from Alexandria, Egypt, which was the home of the great philosophers of the day. Alexandria had a great library that was considered the greatest collection of knowledge in the world at the time. Until... Muslims came in and burned it to the ground. (laughs) Now, portions of it escaped to Rome, and so some of it survived, but the majority of it was burned down. Um, Likewise, the Western text came from Rome, the world's greatest power at the time. Political power. What business does a church have being a a political power that rules the world? (laughs) There's no place for that at all. You don't don't legislate God's word. You preach God's word. You teach God's word. As the Roman church became more dominant, their text also gained in prestige. Both the Alexandrian and Western texts were subject to the same mentality. They were departures from the true traditional text. With this attachment to philosophy as well as Rome, the rich and scholarly of the world all wanted to get their hands on manuscripts that came from Alexandria or Rome. You can see the, the, the intellectual and elite coming together around this. I want, I, want, I want a text from the most learned men. And in that day, the learned men were either in the Roman Catholic Church because they controlled the world or they were philosophers from Alexandria. And so that, that gave this, this aura of prestige to these documents you know, people wanted them, they desired them, because in their minds, you know, Origen put that together. Origen was a brilliant man. Well, he was, intellectually, but spiritually he was very stupid. So was Jerome and, and the other philosophers who were in the school of, school of, the, school of the scripture uh, under Philo. So with this attachment to philosophy in Rome, the rich and scholarly came together and they wanted it. But somehow God's people never departed from the traditional text. It never allured God's people. It never allured. Christians never said, why are they buying those texts? Maybe we should switch to that text. (laughs) No, Rome would have to force their their, their Bibles on their people because their people refused to go. When they made the Latin Vulgate, nobody wanted to switch from the old Latin Vulgate to the new Latin Vulgate. So they had to force you to do it. And what that meant is you do it or you die. That's if you could even have a Bible. Most of the time they kept the Bible in the the church and you had to come to the priest in order to see the Bible. It it was, you know, they have not exactly been a beacon of freedom and, and liberty throughout their history. God's people were not impressed with prestige. They were impressed with God and his word. When it comes to God's word, the intellectuals and elites have not been able to force their will upon the people. Instead, the people eventually convinced certain of the elites to trust the traditional text. The greatest evidence that is found that, that is found in Erasmus and then the King the King of England assembling translators who used the Textus Receptus for the New Testament. When God used the church, he did not use an organization, he used the individual members of the body of Christ. We have that same responsibility today with the English Bible. So there was no collective organization that existed. And we're going to go through the details of how, how the King James Bible came about. Why? How did the King of England, the new King of England, become interested in translating a Bible? I mean, why? This is a, You have this history of the Kings of England, and by the time you get to King James, he's, his mari- he's been married to like four or five women, the Roman Catholic church wouldn't, wouldn't give him a divorce, you know, and then his, his predecessor, King Henry wanted a divorce and the Catholic church wouldn't help him. And so, uh, the, he had this whole battle with William Tyndale and, 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 uh, and several other preachers because they wouldn't sign off on him to get a divorce. So he wouldn't give them what they wanted. He could, they couldn't have a Bible in the English language. And the Catholic Church wouldn't give him a divorce, so he said, "Fine, we're going to break from the Catholic Church." And it just cause all this, tr- you have these reprobate kings who can barely keep a marriage together, and somehow King James becomes interested in English version of the Bible. It's very interesting the way God does things. And then when he goes to put together a group of people to do the translation work, every one of them were Christians. It's just it's it's incredible. <laughs> Every single one of them were heavily involved in the Church of, of, of England in, in, in different ways and different forms. Now, we don't have great things to say about the Church of England historically, but the men that were involved were unbelievable Christians and, and linguists. And, and somehow that's who... He didn't say, you know, what's our best university with, with the, you know, the, the, the best translators who are secular? He didn't turn God's word over to a bunch of secularists. He got together a group of Bible-believing Christians and had them translate the word of God. And, And it was the greatest assembly of linguistic scholars the world has ever seen. It has never happened again since that time. It was an unbelievable historical event. Now, with that being said, can you name one translator? the greatest event in human history for the English-speaking world, of which you're a part, and nobody has a clue who they are. They're completely obscure. In fact, uh, the books I have where they try and put together information about the translators, for several of them, th- there's two sentences. They have no information about who these men were. You know, Some of them, they have a lot of information Others of them, these men didn't do it for personal glory. They didn't do it to be well-known across the world. They didn't do it for for the historical significance. They loved God's word, and they were used in an incredible way. No book has changed the world more than this book. And, And if you go and ask 100 people, name one King James translator, they couldn't tell you a single one. In fact, what they'll tell you is, wasn't King James a homosexual? <laughs> Wasn't King James? Didn't he get a divorce? Why did he translate a Bible? He didn't translate a Bible, you idiot. He put together a team of people to translate the Bible. <clears throat> All right, so... Versions of the traditional text. A version is essentially... So, so when you see version... In these terms, it equals translation. So, a version is a translation. All right, it means it was taken from from our Greek starting point. All right, so a, so a version is a translation, essentially. Uh, so, we're going to look at just a couple of versions. It's so, it's important to remember. I want you to decide to be King James only. And that's, that's good. That means you believe the King, the King James Bible is the only Bible you use. And if you get a Luganda Bible that is accurate with the King James Bible, praise the Lord, you can use that as well. But I don't want you to buy into King James only propaganda. And, and what many of these guys teach is that the Bible can only and has only ever been able to be found in the King James Bible. No other Bible exists or has ever existed that you can call God's word. And that's just simply not true. Uh, And and so, while it would be good for you to say, I only believe the King James Bible and here's why, it, it would not be good for you to adopt the negative aspects of the right camp. If that makes sense. You want to be in the right camp, but for the right reasons. And... And it could, there is plenty of historical and spiritual and biblical evidence and reason to believe the King James Bible is the perfect word of God and that we should use it. There is no reason to believe that God never, ever put his word in a single other language ever throughout history, because <laughs> it's, it's just not true. All right, so first you have the Syrian church. We spoke of the Diatessaron, which was assembled by Tatian. We've talked about that. It is a harmony of the Gospels. It was assembled using the Western text. While we do not use the Western text due to its corrupt nature, this document played a major role in further identifying we have what? Four Gospels, and only four. So there's not a Gospel of Thomas. People always ask me, so what do you think of the Gospel of Thomas? I don't think about it. Like, why would I think about it? I, have no, I could care less about the Gospel of Thomas. It's not in the Bible. And his, and the, the document has been proven to be a fake. Thomas didn't write it. Whoever did write it wasn't present at the time. And you can, you can tell that by reading what they wrote. If you read the four Gospels, you know these men were there. They were present. They, they know things. They understood things. They saw things that, that can be conveyed in, the, in, in, in their writing and you know that, that, that they were there, and, we, and so there were four men who were, put, who were used to write the four Gospels. And so the Diatessaron helped to further prove to us there are only four Gospels. While we don't necessarily use the Diatessaron because it came from corrupt texts, it's such an early document that it helped to verify there are only four, there are only four Gospels. Uh, soon after Tatian, the Syrian believers rejected any form of the Western text. They adopted the ancient, we've talked about this one, Peshitta Syriac. All right, so they, while this document was was helpful in demonstrating to us that we only have four gospels, it just helps to further prove that fact. God's people in Syria went away from anything that came from the Western text and ended up going with the Peshitta Syriac because it came from. The traditional text um, the Peshitta Syriac was based almost exclusively on the traditional text, whichever parts they could get their hands on Now remember this wasn 't a complete New Testament; it, it was missing books of the Bible and things like that because it 's all they had, so they could get their hands on. Um, next you have the Latin church, and the the Latin Church played a major role you know in 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 preserving the scriptures, the Latin, the the old Latin Vulgate, even the Latin Vulgate with with its corruptions because of the notes that were put in it, they could tell where where uh, Jerome made his changes. And, and so, you know, if you picked up an, an 1890 version of the revised version of the Bible, it's 80 to 85 percent exactly the same as this book as the King James Bible. And so they could do the same with the the new Latin, the Latin Vulgate that Jerome made. And it was even more helpful because he he put his notes in it so you could see yeah, I changed this. So if you're looking for a verse here, I deleted it. It's just it's incredible. Um, The idea of the West, you know, so you hear about the West, right? That's England, America, Germany. Um, you know, the, the, the West is a, is a very broad collection of ideologies who got their, their ideas about government and, and, uh, and civil life basically from Greek philosophers. So, Greek philosophy and, and, and Roman republics played a major role in the direction that the West as a whole took. So, while the West describes an ideology, uh, who would be someone Very popular today, who is against the West. Name a president today who is against the West. Yes, Vladimir Putin is one of the biggest examples today of of a failed ideology. And he's trying to revive it. Now, the reason the Soviet Union doesn't exist is because it collapsed. It, it, It completely fell apart on itself. The reason communism has no foothold today, but it's trying to come back in different countries, is because everywhere you implement communism and socialism, it completely collapses. Well, communism, socialism is, is against the ideology, the political ideologies of the West. Well, the, the Latin church was kind of the start of what came to be known as, as the West. And, and, um, and all of its power and, and thinking. The Latin church made a move towards the traditional text by substituting Jerome's Latin Vulgate for the old Latin Vulgate. They refused to use Jerome's work because it was corrupt. The Latin Vulgate, otherwise known as the New Latin Vulgate, was a revised New Testament created by Jerome in 384. That was the the Latin Vulgate what I often call the new Latin Vulgate, made by Jerome. All right, so he, he put that together. Uh, it, it, it gained popularity quickly, especially in elite circles, because of the influence of the Roman Catholic Church. But it, it fell apart pretty quick when people who actually loved the Bible realized it was a corrupt document and didn't want anything else to do with it. Uh, Jerome says he made the New Latin Vulgate by comparing the Old Latin Vulgate and Old Greek manuscripts. And oh, by the way, he may have edited the Old Greek manuscripts. So he had the Old Latin Vulgate, which is a good, sound Bible. And, And instead of telling, remember, he was commissioned to do this, instead of telling the, the, the man, I forget the man who commissioned him to do it, instead of telling him, you know, we have the Latin Vulgate already, the old Latin Vulgate, and it's, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Instead of saying that, he said, I'll get right on it. <laughs> I'm going to be famous. I'm going to create a Bible, and, 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 and an entire pagan apostate church will adopt it. Jerome used a wide variety of Greek texts, including documents that align with the Western, Alexandrian, and traditional texts. So he had access to all of them. In fact, Origen and Jerome, the texts they had were traditional texts when they received them. But by the time they were dispersed from them, they had all been altered and changed in, in numerous ways. So they, they, were, they were often at the heart of these changes that were made to, to the Alexandrian and um, Western texts. The problem is he would choose uh, his wording from the text he agreed with rather than attempting to find some objective measure of determination. So imagine if you have three three, three texts. You have the traditional, you have the Western, and you have the Alexandrian. And they all say something different. Well, which word are you going to go with? Well, you, you say that now because you've been taught what the traditional text is versus the other two. But imagine if you're Jerome sitting there with these three texts in your hand, what are you going to do? Hmm? Yeah, you have to do some homework and figure out why did they say something different? Now, the ones that he changed, that's pretty easy to figure out. But what about origin? And what about the men who came before him? What changes did they make to this text? They left it in their writings. I need to figure that out before I put together this new Latin Vulgate. So if my intention is to make it accurate. And he didn't do that. He he would just pick the one he agreed with. Well, I I agree with the Alexandrian here, and I agree with the traditional there, and I agree with the Western over here. So I'll just pick and choose the one I agree with and, and put this together. And so you have this hodgepodge, confused book that nobody wanted to use. <laughs> uh, it is interesting to learn that the majority of Jerome's Latin Vulgate is in full agreement with the traditional text. A huge portion of it. What, you know, so that means he had it. He could have used it for the entire, the entire process. And possibly have come up with an accurate Bible. An accurate and new version of the Latin Vulgate. But he didn't do that. And so that's why you'll see even Erasmus often used the Latin Vulgate, Jerome's Latin Vulgate, at times, to compare uh, some of some of the text, some of the manuscripts that he had. Now he relied in terms of manuscripts, he relied on traditional te- tec- Greek manuscripts to make the Textus Receptus. But he often used the Latin Vulgate uh, as, as a reference to see if what he had his own Latin version that he had made. And he had Jerome's Latin Vulgate, and he would use it to compare what he what he had in front of him and so And so Jerome could have put together an excellent work here. It could have been something that people would have used and cherished and and maybe even have been better than the old Latin Vulgate, possibly. I have no way to tell i don't my Latin's not very good, so. So there was no need to make any revision in the first place, but Jerome followed the instructions given him, and his final result was a text that was nearly the same as the text he began with. So imagine you have the old Latin Vulgate, which is made from the traditional text. You're trying to make a new Latin, Latin Vulgate, and 90-95% of the new Latin Vulgate is the same as the old Latin Vulgate because it came from the traditional text. You could have just left it alone and said, you know... <laughs> I mean, we have one already. It's, it works. You should just use this. And no, he didn't do that. All right. Next, the Coptic Egyptian Church. Now, remember, this is in Egypt, so you have to be careful because many, most of the documents that came out of Egypt were corrupt. But when it came to the Bohairic Manuscripts, I remember, Bohairic was a, a dialect of the Coptic language. So the, the Coptics are the people, it was also the language, but they had they had different dialects, and so the Bohiric dialect was the one that they that they used and ended up, ended up putting together a reliable Bible in that language. Um, so studies of the Bohoptic, the Buhairic Coptic New Testament have shown it descends from the traditional text. Passages that would have been altered if the version came from Alexandria were not altered at all. Bohairic manuscripts exist that agree with the Alexandrian line, but somehow a group within the Coptic church followed the Syrian Latin churches in rejecting the Alexandrian manuscripts. So you have two lines of the Bohairic version. One sticks with the traditional text And the other is Alexandrian in nature. So so you you, you have one that is a Bahiric version that that perfectly agrees with the traditional text. So if you spoke Bahiric, I would warn you to be careful. All right, the move towards the traditional text. Let's try to get through as much of this as we can before the break. During the Middle Ages, this would be the fourth... Through the 16th century, centuries, all right, this is called the Middle Ages. There is a shift, there was a major shift across the world away from Alexandrian uh, manuscripts to the Byzantine or traditional manuscripts. It, it, was, it was almost like a coordinated move, but nobody was doing the coordinating well, somebody was. <laughs> he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Textual scholars try to blame this shift on Greek monasteries. So again, they try to go back and say, it must have been those, those Greek churches. Well, then explain to me, explain, explain the Baha'i version to me then. How's a Coptic church in Egypt, who, ha- who is not under the Byzantine Empire, moving away from the Alexandrian text into a traditional text. And this happened in multiple places across the world where people who had only had some version of the Alexandrian manuscripts and their language shifted away from anything that was Alexandrian in nature and went to the traditional text. So, uh, I mean, if you can explain that to me, that would be great. They claim the traditional Byzantine text was created by monks from an Orthodox background, Manufactured that these monks manufactured the traditional text and then mass-produced it to flood the world. Now we're talking about the 4th to the 16th century. You explain to me how some monks in a monastery were able to mass-produce from the 4th to the 16th century the traditional text, and then ship it around the entire world for everybody to break away from the Alexandrian text and move to the traditional text. Anybody explain that? You couldn't do that in Uganda today, much less in a, in a Greek monastery by a monk in the 4th century, somehow tricking the entire... They don't have TikTok. I mean, they don't have YouTube. They can't influence the entire world. They're in a monastery in the middle of nowhere. And they don't leave the monastery. So how do they do this? They didn't. I think God did it. The trouble with that idea is these monks were of the Orthodox Catholic background. A church well known for its love of the Alexandrian text, as well as a tendency to edit documents as they desire. Oh yeah, and there's that. So if, 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 a, if an Orthodox church who thinks and whose doctrine is similar as, as the Roman Catholic church was going to mass produce a text and try and trick everybody into switching to that text, you think they would have left the traditional text alone? No, they would have made their own Bible. And they didn't do that. So that makes it kind of hard to believe this happened. Um... The Middle Ages were a time of spiritual decline and apostasy. But somehow during that time, the dominant text read and used by the Greek church was the Byzantine text. It's so mind-boggling that the Greek church, which again is just as pagan as the Catholic church, they stuck with the traditional text and made no changes to it. It's, it's, it really is incredible. It's, it's the preservation of God. In various parts of the world around the same time, there was a move by large groups of churches away from the Alexandrian text to the traditional text. As as hard as critics try, they have no valid explanation for such a move. God was preserving his word. The scribes within the Greek church were almost solely responsible for copying the traditional text. As such, God used the Byzantine Empire in a time of apostasy to preserve documents they did not even believe. Amen. This was accomplished without the transfer of Mary worship, saint worship, or image worship. None of that was put into the text. All of which the Greek Orthodox Church believes, just like the Roman Catholic Church. And you can find all these things in the Roman Catholic Bible. But you can't find it in the traditional text, which the Greek Church was in control of. As these documents grew in the Greek Church, they failed to make their way into as these doctrines grew in the Greek church, they failed to make their way into the traditional text. All right. So uh, the Protestant Reformation, as the traditional text made its way east toward Europe, when it arrived, with, it arrived without Greek philosophy. Now that, that's huge because Greek philosophy, I mean, the world loves Greek philosophy. They almost treat Greek philosophy the same way they treat the Bible. Um, you know they, they almost you know it's it's like Jesus and Aristotle are the same, um, and, and it's it's ridiculous. You know you have the the world's religion is G, is Jesus, Plato, Aristotle, and Gandhi, and and that's who everybody loves. And and they and, and the world the secular world thinks of those guy those people those men as being equal to each other. It's the same. Greek philosophy, along with Orthodox doctrine, prevented the Greek Church from breaking free. From apostasy, but the Latin Church, with its old Latin Vulgate, as well as the incoming influence of the traditional text, it created the scene for the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was was met with the printing of, of Greek New Testament uh, of Greek New Testaments. These events essentially merged the divisions of the East and the West together. With that came a resolve to live by Scripture and to break from religious bondage. This was the beginning of God's light spreading throughout the entire world. So it's kind of as the Latin church, which came to be known as the West, the East and the West kind of met there and they brought, you know, they brought their Greek philosophy. You have the religious bondage, you have all these things coming together, but with all that came the traditional text and And then Erasmus puts it together and it begins to be printed and it begins to be disseminated. And so everybody can now, or many people can now have a copy of it and they can read it and see what it says. And it just kicked the door wide open and tore the Roman Catholic Church apart. And from there, the world was plunged into light. No more philosophy, no more religious bondage. Now we have the word of God. And and that changed everything.